0: Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're thinking what
0: to yourself, what wait a you second, that's not say. a TV show. But it t- is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on electric. Now I demand it. I demand it because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore stone can watch us on the electric now app. And how do you get the electric now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams other than a ViewMaster. you download it. And, and then you watch it hundred percent free. There's no charge, there's no Patreon, there's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Hello,
2: Josh. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
2: Right on. All good. Excited without guests today.
1: Yeah, and we are back with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan to conclude our epic, basically, <laughs> Uh, unmade career-spanning conversation we've had with them, building up to, um, I guess, I mean, we've talked about so many interesting things, I feel weird even saying that this is kind of the, like, tentpole we're really building up to, since we talked about Hellraiser and God of War and all this stuff, Clive Barker TV show, Uh, but we've built up to Halloween Returns, Uh, and I think before this podcast eventually is all said and done we are going to do so many unmade Halloween movies that it's part it's interesting to talk about because um, you know it's a franchise that's kind of been passed around from owners so it's always kind of like getting new life breathed into it especially in the 21st century there's been so many attempts to sort of both capture the original magic and with like the Rob Zombie thing, redefine it for what they people felt was the tone of the moment. Um, and you guys, I thought it had a pretty cool idea going for this, but before we get to that, I guess let's just start with the concept of Halloween. Um, you know we're all horror fans actually let me even take a step back since you guys are so known for horror movies i'm just assuming you're horror movie fans but i also know that there's so many filmmakers people like wes craven who never intended to be horror filmmakers and just kind of got stuck in it what was your guys like real interests in genre growing up
3: uh i was terrible at sports and i had bad acne (laughs) <laughs> and um, so I'd watch these horror movies and and started to uh, learn to build my self-esteem and cover up the things that I was embarrassed about in myself through the art of Tom Savini and then the more I learned about Tom Savini's craft and then I'd make my own mustaches then all of a sudden if I was in a a whole movie people couldn't see what was you know revolting to me and probably them I don't know uh, but then oh wait, Tom Savini also did photography. Wait, he also does studs. Wait, he also does acting. Wait, he also does directing. And and I that was it. He was he was my gateway to the to the fantastic.
1: And for those who uh, can't see these backgrounds, because this is a podcast, but you got Marcus has some Tales from the Crypt in the background of his room there. Uh, Patrick has a whole wall of uh, garbage pail kids, and I just realized I can see some mad balls. For those who remember what Madballs are, oh yeah, Marcus has moved his camera now. Got a bunch of mar- monsters. Love it. Um, how about you, Patrick? Um, it 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 was uh I was
4: a kid who uh had access to a video store and um and no parent parental um <laughs> uh, you know oversight that was and the- I.
1: The '80s were a wonderful time, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I I watched I just watched everything, and I didn't realize I had seen like every horror movie on VHS until I went to film school. Not even film school; it was like undergraduate like um, film class. Where and I, I just knew them all, and so and then I realized, oh wow, I I, I actually um you don't know that you don't know Chud 2 or whatever, and then and then you don't, you don't know, know
1: Bud the, the Chud? Chud. Yeah,
4: what's wrong with you? And then um then you eventually bump into like-minded people. And that was Marcus. And so, no, we went and we, so when I I came out, we first thing we did together was Feast, Mm -hmm. horror movie so it's everything we've done since then. So. Well,
1: and I hate to pit them against each other because I love them all, but in some way that some, you know, baby boomers grew up, there were the Beatles kids and the Rolling Stones kids in the 70s. There was the Who fans and the Led Zeppelin fans. It definitely seemed like you were either a Freddy kid or a Jason kid or a Michael kid. Did you guys have your own allegiances as fans, as kids?
3: I was very late to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, because the first one of them I saw was three, I, uh, the Dream Warriors. And I loved it because it was nothing like Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees was a wonderful nightmare. Um, but I didn't have nightmares about Jason. And I never had nightmares about Freddy. And I think it was the introduction was different. The one who was there was always Michael Myers. And I would run and I could jump and, and hang in the air a little bit longer, almost like a slow motion Michael Jordan. I could do that. And then I would jump half a block, turn around. He'd just be
2: there. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because I always wanted to do a poll on Twitter of like, what, like what Josh just asked, like, what, what, which one haunted your dreams, Michael Myers, Jason, or Freddy? Because, like you, man, it's always been Michael Myers. It's never been the other two. Since I was a kid, it's always been Michael Myers in my nightmares. It's,
4: it, it's more Michael with me, too. I mean, it, Michael, uh, the first Halloween, it took me a year to get through. Tried to watch him in fifth grade, couldn't, eventually got through in sixth grade because we're playing at a party. And it, and I was in a room with, with, with boys and like, I had to get through it. Like you had, and they could kind of look down and not really see it. And I finally got through it. Uh, Jason was more like a party because he was old. It, I mean, it, it was, they had had more, there was more movies at that point when I guess it was 85. When I had got, it, the was, whole thing. it was so,
1: Friday the 13th in police Academy. They basically made yeah. one movie every single year. in the eight- Yeah, I mean, saw and, was the closest we got to really right. replicating that. Right. They were doing a and, saw movie every year. Right. in the a- Yeah.
4: And, and so with friday the 13th it, it, people had would have parties where they'd play them all. Well you couldn't you couldn't really do that with halloween. It just it didn't have the, consistency. the franchise
1: I own and love the scream factory box set. It is the mm-hmm. weirdest beginning to end yeah. watch like uh-huh. it's basically they'd always get two movies in and then kind of yeah. have to reboot the whole idea. Yeah. Well and you guys yeah. are hitting on it perfectly is like Patrick my parents let me rent whatever I wanted when I was a mm-hmm. kid. Uh Freddy and Uh, Michael were too scary for me that's why I was a ride or die Jason guy those Mm -hmm. movies were so silly that I could watch them as a kid I can't Mm -hmm. begin to argue that those movies are better horror movies than the other franchises I mean and nothing's better than Halloween 1
4: and then then Elm Street came out a little bit later I saw Elm Street in the theater uh, in Evanston, Illinois um, snuck in and I remember, I remember distinctly, I was in the front row on the far right side. It was so packed with people. And that first movie, I mean, at that point, I was, I snuck in. So I was like, yeah, you know, movies. And so, <laughs> so I wasn't in the scared, you know, generally a movie scares you because it gets you at that right moment where you're like, alone it's late and you're like okay i guess this is what we're gonna do i guess you get in your head i was with a bunch of kids and it was like a raucous crowd and it was that vibe you know what i mean and so it was just so yeah so it didn't really but then at the same time there was some really scary imagery in that first movie that did stick with me like when in the in the alleyway with the long arms arms. which is funny
1: because you watch that now it's a really dumpy special (laughs) but like but yeah you see yeah, that at the right age it's like, it's, yeah, it's just it's yeah. the idea of it that's the most indelible that west craven yeah. was so good at but i guess it's a jumping forward now um i have this the script we read was dated 2015 was it 2014 that this like the chance to get involved with a halloween movie or was it even already 2015
4: it was very fast it was very fast yeah
1: and and what was that moment like how did this come across your play
3: i i think well, well we really got to give credit to matt stein matt stein is is a marvelous uh marvelous producer and and uh, and and also we've collaborated with matt i think nine times and
4: he no was producer, bob's assistant yep. on feast so he came up at the same time as that dimension and then yeah, So they had Halloween Asylum, right? And it was Matt, Matt Bain had done the draft. There might have been a draft. I think someone might have messed with it before, and then it was Matt Bain. And then it was, um, uh, uh, um, you know, Stolberg and um, uh, his, his writing partner, um, they had done a draft and we were sent that
1: and um, or I guess wait, should we should really pause on your story, Steve, maybe just some context on where the franchise was at this point. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do that really quick. Cause yeah, my, um, the thing is, I'm, should I, I'm trying to figure
2: out where to where even start from? I mean, I guess really quick, H2O came out in 98. That's part seven. Resurrection came out in 2002. That's part eight.
1: The movie Best Not Spoken.
2: 2004, they started messing around with Halloween Nines, like Retribution, The Lost Years, or The Missing Years. And then that's where I first have Halloween Asylum, is around 2005, is where they started bumping that script around. I I have rumored that the director of Suicide Club around that time,
4: and then I'm sorry. Was it Jake Wade Wall? I think Jake Wade Wall had done a draft, yeah, and draft. Yeah, I think I think so,
2: like three different Halloween drafts, altogether right. or something.
4: So th- there was a, so we were on the set of Feast with Nick Phillips. Feast one, and yes, and the cameras were on us. And we we were we were like you know Nick Phillips and us were like you know kindred spirits. Like he's just such a genre guy. He loves it. Like you were, and he and he was reading he was reading a draft of um. Halloween he was like Look, you know, check this out guys and we were like young at the time just smart asses and he was talking about there was a scene when Michael Myers goes on trial goes on trial and and you know maybe that works we didn't read it we just instantly making fun of it. it of of the defendant, the who, who prosecutor being the like prosecutor? did you or did you not kill these children and he, and he doesn't speak and he's like you will speak." <laughs> permission to you know permission to uh, approach the hostile witness, and then he won't. You know, he still won't speak because he's Michael Myers, and he doesn't <laughs> speak. And so, like, I think we think we did. killed the project. That's, that's well. What was so
3: dang funny was Nick passionately pissed pitched this courtroom scene, and it starts great. Now imagine, like, you're in there, right, and you see all the masks from all the movies. They like, they were all his.
1: I like that image. Uh, mm-hmm.
3: Yes, me too. And then Melton jumps into that observation. And I remember, I think I went robotic playing Michael Myers and you could see Nick's cheeks go from polite pink to rage red. And he kicked me, because I think I was closest, and went,
4: fuck you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then I've never heard of that project again. (laughs) Yeah, so we hadn't. (laughs) And then years, years, years later, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Stein, who was there, then he was an independent producer, he was working with um, uh, uh, Malika Cod and um, they were kind of stuck and they had this asylum draft. And, and I don't know why, you know, sometimes if you just speak your mind. It works out. And we were like,
3: Dude, no, uh, we were, we, we,
4: uh,
3: we were just having dinner to catch up with Matt. Like, cause we kind of do that. Like it's, He's our, he's our other guy in Apocalypse Now our, with our journey through dimension. And whenever you see a veteran from a hairy, scary time, it's like, <laughs> you're still alive. And so this dude was like, why don't we agree to meet somewhere? And to Patrick's memory, which is correct, it was, dude, what the F's going on with Halloween? Matt blinks and goes, do you guys want to take a run at it? I'm like, yeah, where are you at with it? <laughs> And, and really to, to kind of summarize probably a longer story in that because of our history with Bob, because of our history with Matt, we had a nice chance to have a as close to harmony with uh, what Malik wanted to do to to keep the legacy going that, that his father started. So really it felt, yeah, there was, we might've had the titles of writers and, and director, but it was a lot of peacekeeping at the start yeah. and, and, and forensic yeah. and what does it really need to be. And then Bob, please be honest with us about the budget so we can write to it because at this point we'd seen John Gulliger be promised 15, um, an over the phone promise 15 does not mean 15 shows up. It <laughs> uh, and, and has his uh, Piranha two, which was supposed to be 15 was then seven and six and a half. And then, um, and that's tough. So I said, like, really, you know, if I'm directing this, please, Bob, trust me to just let me know your absolute where this is going to stop.
2: And he was like, five. <laughs> like, three. oh, to, uh, to you know, to to catch up with the audience. This is after Rob Zombie's yes two movies, yes. and then Halloween 3D is canceled by this time. The right?
1: Todd yes. Farmer,
3: yes, yes. but. Okay. A a significant hit still was coming. Even after that moment of honesty, we didn't know whatever budget we had was going to have to take the hit of all the close starts, fall starts, and development of the previous ones. Oh. So Melton and I busted our ass to make you know because then I would go through it like a stopwatch and be like, all right, if I can only get thirty-two setups within this time frame, we engineer the suspense sequences those are our movie stars every shot with the mask please budget 40 minutes and i have a big screen monitor so that mask feels like an extension of part 1 no 2 part 1 john carpenter's one this has to feel like it shares tissue and i tracked down the last panaglide that was still functioning in australia so it could be we could absolutely mimic his pov which had a rock back and forth because it was still kind of weighted. Now, push comes to shove. Yeah, B.J. McDonald, not only an amazing director, but also the best steady cam guy. Bro, you don't have to plot in from uh, Australia. All I can do is kind of walk funny, like, you know, and they are like, yeah, and he he nailed it. So we were really very tactile about it in, in trying to protect what would be delivery. And the delivery was we wanted to deliver an extension of the threshold event that was the terror of the first Halloween. We had to play with some pretty, uh, a couple of tough creative choices that were not, um, that just we had to deal with. So that's where it helped being co writers because we could be counselors. <laughs>
4: well, there, was, there was really only one note that Bob was, was holding on to, one idea, and it was that he wanted Michael to be on death row in, a, yeah. in the electric chair. So, okay, but we, we you know, approached him and we were very honest and blunt. Yeah, he wanted that on the poster, like it's Michael like, Myers. He the map and the thing, and then you can see yeah. it starts to fall apart, like the Shocker
1: yeah. VHS cover. But- yeah, numbers. yeah,
4: yeah. The Brian Collins tribute moment. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, so, um, yeah. So, anyway, so he'll be very look,
1: happy he got reverence. He know he knows. A
4: lot. <laughs> so, so, but we were, um, you know, our approach we were just blunt with him. Where it's like, let's. And we were as frustrated with the franchise as anyone else was. Like, let's not, let, guys. Like, don't just make another. Let's. And we use the word recalibrate it. And let's let's not start over, but let's recalibrate where it goes after the first one and then move from there. And so our whole thing was, you know, there's that moment when he gets, when Loomis shoots him and he falls off the house and he's on his back, right? And then Loomis sees him, goes back inside to help check with Lori, comes back out and he's gone. And so we're like, there's that moment, our, our movie starts with all black, and then the camera gets up and we follow him. That's the beginning of our movie. And and so that, that sequence continue with, it continues on and then he gets caught. And he gets put in the, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna be put in an asylum, but he's not insane. So they can actually execute him. And then we so that's how we worked it that way. And really what we were trying to do was just get back to basics, you know, and, um respect the franchise for what it was and get back to it being a sort of voyeuristic lurking cat and mouse between these characters. And that was, that was our take. And we were actually shocked that um, Dimension went for it and was allowing us to go to make it so close to the original without goofy notes of, we need to have kids and someone's losing their virginity tonight, you know, which (laughs) there's a little bit of that in there, but like, yeah, it wasn't
3: absolutely, but we could, but we were not being held to stereotypes of those kids. So we uh-huh. we were naming them after our childhood friends and and putting real life conversations in there that felt more from a documentary than right. than from well plots or. Yeah,
4: and we like it's well, the bummer of it all was that we were trying to we were, you know. Russellville is the town next to um, Adenfield. It's like the character of Hunt is in the first one, and then it's like it, we we had all this stuff where it, it was going to make sense, and maybe went overboard a little bit on some of that. But we we you know it was a bummer because we were we were down to do we were shooting camera tests um, for the
1: with masked- Michael
3: with a, a potential new Michaels and the great uh, I say the great Sean Clark. Uh, Sean Clark arrived with a beautiful replica of mask number one. And he was endorsing uh, a a, a friend, colleague of his who is already an accomplished stuntman. And it was Joe Twait, I believe. Joe Twait, I believe. And and, and he put it on and and man, I still have video of a grinning Sean Clark, because I put him to work. So then it's like, all right, Michael, you're coming in the door, Sean, you are the door. You You ease it open. You know, and then in comes Michael and Malik's there, and so it was fun. Yeah, you, know, you you get glimpses of what you were bringing stylistically. I wanted to give Michael one new pose, a you know, a, because the iconography of him being still I liked, but there was something, and all that was going through my head was the Elvis comeback show,
1: <laughs> the black the black yes. suit one.
3: Yeah, because what I <laughs> what I thought we needed visually from Michael was earn the returns. Halloween returns. And it was going, to, uh, uh, was going to have him just do this thing, and it would just be in one shot, one moment, and we've always known he's had options for targets. And then occasionally, you know, and I'm mimicking what Mr. Tarantino did on the history of horror, like, what fascinated me about Halloween was this guy goes, I want her, and then the movie's about that, right? But in this case, there are other victims. So I wanted to show him make the decision of who. Concurrently show someone seeing him making a decision, trying to figure out how to warn her friends, but can't make a sound. And so the new pose would have been something along the lines of the way Elvis stood right before he played any note, letting the world know that he was back. And instead of how Elvis kind of touched his waistline where the the microphone cable would be, that was his knife. Just It was just going to tap a couple of times and it was going to tap off the number of people. One, two, three. And then he'd look into that void that he always stares at. And that's that. It. But it's something where if you see him in silhouette and you're like, he's going to conduct the movie now. He's taking over. Sorry, kids, you had your chance to be in your coming of age drama. <laughs> the horror movie showing up now. and he's Myers time. Yes.
1: Anyway, I wanted two quick things to note. Uh, I always have to remind myself, because we have a lot of people on the show who are kind of from our own community. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we talk about people, and I realize probably other people don't know who we're talking about. One, Brian Collins uh, is a horror author. Brian's awesome. Journalist and is renowned to those who know him as Mm -hmm. a shocker apologist. He was also on our Jurassic Park 4 episode, if people want to go back and listen to that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Sean Clark... Is uh, I mean, if you have a lot of horror Blu-rays and DVDs, you might see him. He'll do these tours of, like, shooting locations. Like, what does Field look like now? And that kind of thing.
3: I, I, I have a total tangent story. Um, and this was something, like, we were just getting started, and Sean was setting up the Texas Frightmare Weekend, and Patrick had fallen ill. I don't know if you remember this. We're at LAX. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. lean on the side of my truck and barf. And you're like, I... I can't, and it was going to be like, hey, you can see the Feast fellas will be there and whatnot. And, you know, he had to go home. He was sick. And I went out there and it was such a wonderful experience. I didn't know what Texas Frightmare meant, but you, you get to meet folks. And what I loved and learned about Sean was if he is also conducting an orchestra, he is very selective about who he represents and he is very, very passionate for letting everyone who loves that particular performer, that moment, that movie gives them their moment to embrace it. And it's joy, you know? So that's bringing, bringing fans and these folks together. It's a, it's a two way street uh, of joy. Like it really, it, it, it meant a lot. Cause man, every one of these projects that falls apart, that's supposed to change our potential future when it blows away, like Thanos snapped it we feel scattered against the
4: rocks. Like we're never gonna get to do this again. So you see my arm? These are all the horror movies we've made, right? Yeah. I was so close to getting, and I'm showing now skin that is they had nothing on it. I was so close to getting a Michael Myers thing. Like that. the tattoo artist, this guy, Matt Soderbergh. He was like so excited. He was designing it. I mean, we were like, and I, I don't remember why I didn't do it. I would you know, I ended up going to like England at, right before we were going to production. And that's about when it started going sideways. I'll tell you when it went, the thing when it, got, when it was going sideways was when we were asked if we could shoot in Bucharest.
1: Uh-oh. I was scanning. I mean, I've shot something in Bucharest. It's an interesting Was it a yeah. Halloween movie? Like no, no, exactly. Like the most
4: all-American of <laughs> yeah. all? And now uh, we, I, we and we knew my passport to go locations. Yeah, yeah. In Bucharest, and we were like, "Wait, what about like the cars? Oh, we'll bring them in. What about the actors? Oh, we'll bring them in." Yeah, and we, I, w- we were casting. Awesome, yeah. casters. Like, you make
1: Haddonfield look like it was under the Soviet boot. For years.
4: <laughs> uh, well, okay, so, so we had seen Pulse. You've seen Pulse? Yes. Do you know where that's supposed to take place? The movie Pulse? No. Madison, Wisconsin. Oh. <laughs> would you have guessed that no i hope i'm not wrong but i'm pretty sure it's madison no it's definitely not madison wisconsin Wisconsin, be it madison or milwaukee (laughs) i don't know and like if you remember like we and i remember like so it's uh what's her name um Kristen bell Bell. Mm -hmm. and it's like she's in a she's (laughs) go watch the DVD. she's in like some um we were at the same place where they're editing it that we were doing feast and they had to like figure out a way to push in on the shots because, like, she was in a lecture with a bunch of kids, and they were all clearly like Eastern European thirty-year-old men behind her with like thick beards, <laughs> and like, and like, and like, this this doesn't look like Madison, Wisconsin, a
3: Wisconsin guys. teenager, <laughs> and her
4: fifty-year-old so, classmates.
3: Yeah. <laughs> hello, where is the keg party? Yeah, hello, you
1: I'm know? from. <laughs>
3: But actually, Um, false would have been really cool if she was in Bulgaria and all that was real. But once the first first camera lie didn't stick, oh, I mean, you got to know you're making making something special when an entire movie spends its big, big, huge budget, and I'm uh, referencing Forgetting Sarah Marshall, to make fun to Kristen Bell's face. (laughs) of that movie and the commentary for our first movie, when we had nothing but vulnerability to get kicked out of town, we took time of our first ever DVD commentary to make fun of Pulse as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were always getting hammered with, where do the monsters come from? And then the, I think, Kirk Moore, the editor goes like, well, clearly it wasn't the Wi-Fi.
2: It was like, but what if they did come to the Wi-Fi? Yeah. Kirk,
5: you it. the monsters came to the Wi-Fi. <laughs>
4: When, when we got that note um can you make us in Bucharest we knew we were going in the wrong direction that was the beginning of the end
3: but at the same time you know that's the uh, that's the drug that is hope and I, it, it just for like uh, i hope everybody hearing this hears all the layers to the following micro dose of, of a phone call so you have agents you have managers lawyers and whatnot and, you know, the, the the creative impulse and to try to get up and direct and write and do something is, is it can be arduous, can be punishing, can be enlightening and wonderful. So, like, I, you know, this was Halloween. I was very excited to do it uh, and direct it. And then I get a call from an agent that he'd never called me before. I'd heard he was on my air quote team, but <laughs> I, I I couldn't tell his voice from you know, that of a, of a telemarketer. And it, it was also not because he was using his traditional voice. It was, Hey, um, everything's going to change now. I'm going to get you on some hot, hot lists. <laughs> so now my, 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 my portly self is like, Whoa, I'm starting to see, you know, just, Oh, life's going to change. And it's like, this is how it's gonna work i am now your messenger i am gonna open these doors it is going to be remarkable i think that was a thursday by monday the movie was canceled and never heard from him again
1: <laughs> you never heard from sexy 90s 1900 <laughs> yeah
3: yeah never heard that voice again how's it like and it but in that short window where our names were in ink, and I, in ink, and then we were on a Facebook header for like the article that finally a Halloween movie was happening, and then Ellen DeGeneres had an episode. My mom saw, you know, she she'd scare a guest from time to time by having them pop out of this cube. They put a Michael Myers mask on there, and then I ended up getting invited for the first time to to meet other horror film directors and everything and i was like whoa and the first guy i see in there is joe lynch and he goes f you man i wanted that hug him i'm thinking like wow this is part of those that that door thing opening and then it it just like that it's all gone so i gotta say i gotta find the hugs and the kicks to the nuts because you don't get a lot of pats (laughs) on the back (laughs) and i learned i learned more from that glimpse so i will now say like hey should a windfall ever happen where you get to hear that voice again i'm glad that patrick and i had been through enough uh walls and 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 been bloodied enough and to to take some salt with that not much i wanted to drink it in as absolute truth that our lives were going to change and it was going to be like the, the same impact that happened for a young mr carpenter when he goes uh from making a 300 grand movie called the babysitter murders to the master of horror, you know. Um, But you know what, it didn't happen. And it's okay that it didn't, because that was always his world. I I had a a very deep, deep uh, conversation in my head, in myself that I wanted to answer by making it, by, by going through the sweat. And that was when I first saw the movie, a family member of mine was being murdered in Minnesota while Halloween was playing on TV. And my sister and I were sent in the basement to watch TV while, we were getting the, the, while my mom was getting the gory details of what happened to uh, my uncle. And God. I, I remember hearing my mom crying and I'm looking upstairs and then the TV volume goes up and it's just this white mask staring at me like, what do you feel? And I just was enough kid and enough growing to that's always in here. So I, I, I wanted to exercise that. I had not liked that feeling. And I thought, so that's what I thought, you know, because I was very hesitant to do this. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about this experience. It hurts. It gutted me. I can find the dark humor in just about anything. But I thought, well, the reason to do it is to maybe share this. And hopefully someone whose dream is catching fire, or they think that because of COVID or, the, or, or that, they won't get to create, no, no, you still will. That's always gonna be up to you. Um, You build your own walls, you build your own ladders. You can do that. And, And it's just nice that a show like this represents an aggregate of people that have also been through it. So I'm telling you, anybody out there, you're gonna be okay. All the hard work is up to you to make yourself okay. But, you know, we got a great Halloween movie. I enjoyed that.
4: Well, I mean, but then, but then you got Star Wars and then everything worked. That's for Oh,
3: oh
4: you no. Star Wars. That, no. I appreciate <laughs> it.
3: <laughs> and I had to turn down Flashdance and I was like, oh. I was
1: going to say, though. Uh, Flashdance from the chair's perspective. <clears> this <throat> gives us an opportunity to kind of go out on a more upbeat note. Let's talk a little bit more about what the movie would have been, though. Because uh, yeah. we only just oh. touched on the very beginning with the uh, You're gonna electric see chair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yep.
3: Oh. We did not bust our ass on creating the best suspense, terror, character-building sequences ever to just let them die in the middle of someone else's rights loss issue. Like, no. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and this is part of the salve. Like, we didn't make the collector because people didn't like, let us make a Halloween movie. But when the Collector movie gets to get made, we're not gonna let any good ideas die.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, also, so I guess uh, if we touch on anything, feel free to just be like, that, wait, we're gonna save that, don't wanna talk about that just yet. Sure. But I'm just curious about some of the bigger picture things, because like, you have mm-hmm. Dr. Paul Rogers, Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about this character and the non-Loomis of it all?
4: Well, so the, remember the phone call that um, Loomis makes yes. uh, to to oh, Doctor Rogers. Uh,
1: That's who he is. Uh, So,
3: so in, in the TV movie, you meet Rogers. With the TV yeah. version of the movie, Loomis is passionately talking to colleagues like,
4: "Listen to me." How and Rogers is one who is like? Mm.
1: I guess I didn't even put those pieces together.
4: Collins would have. Yeah,
1: Collins. (laughs) Um, Well, and other little things, because just the the briefest of outlines of the story Mm -hmm. for the audience um, is that it begins really great. Well, it begins with, as you described it, kind of just picking up immediately with the POV sitting back up, and there's this whole sequence of him getting captured, and then we cut forward in time, And we're kind of, our two younger main characters are the daughter of Dr. Paul Rogers and the son of, who was Deputy Hunt, is now Sheriff Hunt. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Noah Hunt witnessed like his mother get killed and he's all like fucked up. And Sophia Rogers had to grow up with her dad being, you know, spending more time with this maniac, basically, than her.
4: And Hunt was in, he was like the third officer, number three or whatever, in the first movie. So it was like, we we're try, trying to tie in the lineage, you know, yeah. all, all the stuff from the first one. And he had too much trauma in the head and failed, so he moved to
5: Russellville, yes. Uh,
1: and then kind of like the first big event, which, very cool sequence, uh, is when Noah's basically like, pressures Sophia. He's like, look, I need some closure. I watched this guy murder my mom. I know you can steal your dad's key and sneak me into the execution and we'll like hide in the wings. No one will know we're there, but I get to watch that motherfucker die. Uh, and unsurprisingly, uh, this does not go the way anybody oh. planned. <laughs> uh,
3: can I try to bring that to you? Uh, I need one second to grab a speaker. I can pitch you how it was going to go.
4: Yeah. Oh, boy. So, okay. So one little thing, cause remember in the first movie, um, when why lori and well of course you know two or the tv movie version says oh it's his sister but before that when it wasn't that like in the original uh she's just walking up to the house and drops the key in and he just sees her yeah you're the one i'm gonna kill and so like we tried to mimic that scene you know when when she gets into the place where the where he's being held, and he and she wants to see him, we have that whole sequence where she's going up, and then she doesn't see him, but he sees her, and when he sees her, that's the thing right
1: yeah and uh... by the way, it's
2: written so well in your script, like how you just always keep with his p o v you never see his face it's pretty and i I love how you. Constantly writing around and Michael Myers' face throughout that whole sequence.
3: So you can't. As soon as you know evil's face, it's
4: it's no longer the dark coming after you. Uh, well, and we and we went back to the way that I mean that the script that Deborah Hill and John Carpenter wrote is if you've ever read the script, it's one of the best written horror scripts you will read. It's just it's it's just a lot of white on the page it's very sparse it's very um exact on what it wants to say and we tried to, to mimic that and even there was phrases the way they described the pov we use that as well and we would generally never use that in a script but because you know you're only if you're not directing you're not supposed to do certain things Whatever. but marcus was directing this so and you know john uh, carpenter did direct that so they were using they wrote it in a certain way and we tried to mimic that. Even in the like the slug line saying uh, "panaglide," right? That was the phrase <laughs> that we used. And um, which doesn't exist <laughs> anymore, no. but, also, but yeah.
3: To protect our own asses, you know, every line of a script is representing a certain amount of screen time. So in doing the suspense sequences, you wanna make sure you have enough time for shots. So we could break it down so it would be quick. These are the shots we see knowing that that's a 30 minute setup, 40 minute setup, 15 minute setup, and we'll fill out the screen minute, but it allowed that time. So everyone across the line, it was neat. You could shot list in the descriptions, which was really cool. Oh, nice. So then here's the big thing. The big challenge is uh, how do you make Michael Myers in prison still a Halloween movie? And so in going in, it, that was the biggest nut to crack because one, I don't. Uh, neither Pat and I wanted any of the prison element in there, because it was taking the dark and shoving it into the light. It was almost like trying to make a Jaws movie on land, if you will, or you know how Jason isn't as scary if he's in the middle of a football field and his potential victim is in the top of the bleachers. That's like what light does. And this time he's strapped down. He's not wearing his mask, and he's before. Uh, uh, huh? Wait a minute. So what if? What if we take this moment to learn something about him and take the other half of this moment and learn everything about the grief of these characters? So if I could, what you're seeing through this glass that he sees through is whenever, you're, whenever we say Michael, it's the back of his head only or his POV into all the people who've shown up to watch him die. I liked the drama of that. The other is you got the text. And what we learned about execution methods, if it's chemical, a lot of them, after a certain, they go, they go bad, just like cheese. And a lot of them, if you haven't had a steady round of execution, you're not making up a new batch of either of the three syringes, it can compromise it. So we're like, okay, there's our tiny thread. So it's not like, I'm just so mad I can beat execution. No, it actually is a failing that is practical and was happening a lot in the region we'd set it up. So then in the room in the front row is our hunt, you know, and and hunt is holding on to a photo and he never wants his little girl to see him look anything less than the lawman. That little girl of his, his daughter is behind with Noah who saw his world go away, you know, that night, everyone else in there are victims of that night. People that want to see the boogeyman die. So as we start, you're coming in as everyone's sitting down and hunts in the front row, looking eyes, locking eyes with Michael. You know that Michael's looking at hunts. You go over to the three syringes and as the warden's like, tell me how this works. One, we're going to spike his system into the red. Then we hit that number two baby. And then three, we send them into the black. This is going to be easy. Back in, Noah and the daughter are coming in and finding their seats in the back. So now they're watching and the boogeyman is let in, and everyone backs out away from the light that maybe you can see him, and he's strapped in, you can see the straps, but as long as Michael's looking at Hunt, it's almost like a wolf seeing a fellow wolf, because there's something going on with Hunt, and he's holding that photo of someone he loves, something he lost, and he's starting to tremble. So now it's okay, like, let's get the show on the road, like he's starting to lose it. Well, that gives away
5: his sidelines to his daughter, who she ducks behind Noah, who Noah ducks behind someone else, and that gets Michael's attention critically. So now, as Depressing Plunger number one, the song, this track from Halloween 3 is supposed to represent his pulse.
3: And now we slowly go back, go behind his hairline, and see what he's looking at. And there's the griever, but then as that stuff starts to affect, and the heart rate goes, Michael's vision starts to lose focus, and racks to that girl. And as soon as Hunt clocks what he's looking at, he now looks like I just gave the killer, the boogeyman, a sideline to my kid. And now Noah's going, I can't see, I can't see this, I can't see this. <coughs> we see the first shot of the fist go, <coughs> and we know that something's happening. Like Plunger Three, Plunger Three the fucking needle breaks on the plunger so it starts coming out like soot. We see the hands start to go and we're only seeing like, holy shit, this guy's getting turned on because for the second time, he sees that Hunt's girl,
5: I want her. And that's when the fists come out. Whoa! He has his gun out. Bam! It's bulletproof. Fuck! And then Michael gets up on the thing,
3: bashes the two guards' heads together, and when he opens his arms to look at Hunt, points at him, and then runs towards the glass and, boom! Jumps up into the ceiling. And that's how he gets away.
1: Hey! <laughs> wow, Fantastic. Yeah. Riveted throughout that whole Christmas <laughs> yeah. Damn. Like but we said, done. very cool scene. Ah, uh,
3: but that, I, okay, so for everyone out there listening, even when you're told to put the boogeyman in a chair, you can make it cool. You just gotta bust your
4: friggin' ass. <laughs> wow, and we, that was, we would have had, it would have been a journey. It would have been difficult, like yeah. you know, because p- you know, what eventually got made was very good and very yeah, it was kind great. of cl- close into the spirit of what we wanted. Um, but it's it's but we're assuming based on the script, right, that everything would have worked out like that. Like yeah. Mark, like we had stuff in there from Halloween. F- well, I know and Steve
1: I wanted to ask about because we have two yeah. drafts which are interesting it's classic okay. notes drafts where they're almost identical it's just one's like 15 pages shorter
0: sure. uh,
1: <laughs> and uh, Steve couldn't help but pick out that in one of them Conal Cochran the villain from Halloween 3 is a mentioned character <laughs>
3: yes uh, he uh, so here's alright if I can do that thing again let's see if I've got the right track up I think so So what I was really excited to do that we could put our own stamp on is utilize the end credits to set up a seamless transition into what a second could be. So our ending of Halloween Returns, the Hunt uh, character saving his daughter from Michael and wounded boyfriend along with a survivor. We invented one survivor character and we named that character Karen. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know? So I kinda, you know, as, as much as I when I saw the new Halloween, I was like, so they invented a new character. Her name is Karen. I'm like, hey, cool. Why not? <laughs> Whatever. Because I loved what they did with that Karen. That Karen, that gotcha, is one of the is, is the that was a fist pump moment for me. So however, our 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 Karen uh, was a was a survivor and was dealing with survivors issues and coming at you know coming at him with a lot of rage, and Michael's cool under pressure is guiding them all into get the footing back. So I'm going to posit that we've got a girl, the daughter, Sophia, cornered by Michael. Uh, Hunt is coming in, going to do whatever he has, and the survivor is underneath trying to know where to level her weapon to take out Michael in the legs or something by a little time. And in the meantime, of course, Michael's just tipping over candles because he knows what to do when fire happens right so let me see i think i want this one um boop, 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 boop. pardon my look just looking
4: what am i going uh the podcast no one can see you yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine okay. wait so what part oh. oh sorry yeah here we go sorry okay
3: so this was going to break to be to bring this back right now, when Michael knows that he's
5: outnumbered, you know that's when he starts flicking candles, setting up a ring of fire, and he's got his hand closer to Sophia, right, her neck. Hunt is coming up, knowing he doesn't have sightline, but he's starting to see the smoke. Now, the fire is coming across like shit. He's gonna bring it down. Karen, under, under, under. He's pointing to where he thinks Michael is. So now she's under him, hearing the footsteps, but doesn't realize that it's Hunt's daughter backing up. So now, boom, Hunt kicks the door open. Michael picks up his daughter by the throat. And so she's going, dip, dip. She punches him with all her might in the face. We see Michael's head come back, not even registering it, a little blood trickle come down, and then just squeezes her throat, boom, and she drops her weapon. And Hunt's like, Come on! Give me my kid! Give me my kid! Take the shot! Boom! Boom! A piece of floor explodes! Michael goes back. Then Hunt leaps for him, knocks his daughter out of the way, and they're crashing into glass, left right. The little girl's reaching down as the forest catching fire, his like, Come on, come on, come on! Gets the little girl down. Daddy! Nope. Dad goes, Cut! In a bottle by Michael, a candle is shoved into his mouth, and he's uppercut. Boom! So now, he can't talk. The daughter's dragged out. They're all outside. The little girl's waiting. They're like, Dad! Is he in there? Now, all the police are out in front of this house. It's starting to burn. And there's the shape, coming through the dark smoke. Oh, fuck, he's gonna walk right out of the firing line. And he's seemingly doing so with Brio. And the little girl's going, Dad, we slow the world down. And then what she sees that mask come through. She sees that a bloody fist holding her dad's hands behind. And Michael's put his mask on her dad. So he's doing that, but he can't yell. And that's when, and hopefully I'm gonna time this just right, She goes, don't take it, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Everyone's uh, pistols go up. Michael does one push. Dad stumbles forward. I'm going to biff the timing on this a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Oh, got to get the end. End. Oh, shit. Bam, 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 bam. Guy's
3: pinwheeled, but one of the shots risks the mask as his daughter jumps in over him like, daddy. And he's just like, pfft. (laughs) <laughs> trying to point, see through the smoke and all Michael's written in her own dad's blood is everyone dies tonight.
1: <laughs> I loved that. And yeah, and in the script, you had the further details that he'd slit the guy's like tongue so he can't really yep. yell and had oh, yeah. jammed a like knife or a piece of glass into his hand so he can't even pull it out and it looks yep. like he's holding a weapon so yeah. the cops all yep. shoot him.
0: And I and think there's it. even
1: a moment where the daughter's like, oh no, it's Michael and then realizes like, Why is Michael Uh wearing like normal clothes? He's not, he doesn't have his like Uh
3: jumpsuit on. But in Soot, the police, because wanting to say the police outfit was close to the jumper that he had on, okay. And then the real real fun was going to be how we keep, we were going to keep interrupting the end credits and show that we haven't, um, we didn't kill all the characters at all. You know, Uh, in fact, most of them live and are damaged and in the hospital. So one person does show up that we see over the shoulder as the tongue is just making enough to ask for help. And he's like, I'm so sorry, I should have believed you. I should have believed you, it's Rogers. And you come around and he goes, that's all right, Paul, I'm here now. Offer was made to Jason Isaacs to play Dr. Sam Loomis and just show up for one day. So then as soon as you see Loomis, Here's all the police personnel in the hallway, and he's looking at the crying Sophia. He's looking at her, another one of her friends. And, and then he's like, Sheriff, no need to deputize me. Brought my own. And he's got his own gun. And then he's like, what do you think's gonna happen? Look around here, Sheriff. <laughs> he's coming home, all right? So then we're back at that burning house, and we see the, the, his hand come down, slowly pick up the mask. Now we're cross-cutting back with the hospital, using this version from Halloween 2. As Loomis is walking down the corridor, he grabs his jacket, passes three men that set off the metal detectors. That's our hint that it's Connell Cochran coming to uh, claim the body of a Mr. Harry
5: Gribbridge. It's for his family. Loomis keeps going out front, and as he stands in front of the hospital, lit from the front with all the red and blue lights, he's
3: just supposed to raise his collar, drop his gun to his side, just like the one original Michael image of him tapping his hip. That's what Loomis does with the gun. And it just ends
5: on him saying, come on. And then, ooh, fade up,
1: and whoop!
5: There you go. <laughs> Didn't put any thought into this one at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, in some context for the listeners, so uh, Harry Grimbridge, the the body you're saying, Donald, uh, Connell Cochran was collecting throughout the movie he's this old man who runs the silver shamrock novelty store mm-hmm. silver shamrock being the uh i guess toy company or whatever you would call it that sells yep. the masks in Halloween 3 um, and you guys uh, have the iconic silver Sam- shamrock commercials on a TV at some yeah, point during the movie exactly.
3: and because mm-hmm. of uh uh Ray Wise I wanted Ray Wise to be Connell cochran uh I don't know if you're familiar with him from 20 but I just thought God he could he's so good because he has love in his eyes and there's mm-hmm. mischief and yet he can change a note in his voice and all of a sudden he's the deadliest thing you've ever seen
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I, 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 I do love what you did with Michael too it's like you totally did bring him back to the first movie with all like you know it's a great scene where these kids are egging this cop, oh. this, this band <laughs> that, was like, that was great Yeah, and then like stringing up the bodies to all the stalking moments are just reading them in the script. It's like I could totally see them like Bringing back to you know those original stalking scenes in the, fir- in the well, first. Well, and I was just going to say,
1: Steve didn't quite finish the thought. The great scene where they're egging, they they think it's Harry Grimbridge, the character we were just talking uh-huh. about, and the kids are egging his van, implying they do this like every year, and they're kind of surprised that he's not reacting, and then Michael Myers just like rolls the window down and throws Harry Grimbridge's head at them. Um, yep.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, because Melton remembered something critical that a lot of the other ones did Is he would play tricks. And yeah, it, he
1: put a lot of work into his body displays yeah, in the first absolutely. one. He's an artist.
3: <laughs> so it was the, it was the rated R trick. Like, oh shit. So for kids, the innocent trick, but Michael's trick is I'm real life. You're still fantasy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: my, my favorite scene cause I like that, you know, it's updated to whatever 2015, whatever this was, you were writing. It still feels like just the standard classic horror movie, but the one kind of real modern tech moment was where a character named Bree, who's friends with Sophia, the basic, like, like the first half of the movie is all kind of like Michael getting out and getting back in the world. And the kind of second half is the second generation of the older characters going out to party at this house Mm -hmm. where there's like a corn maze and all this stuff. But Bree, who's like one of the teenagers is trying to take like selfies and she's just kind of doing them really quickly one after another. She's not looking at them yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And every time the flash goes off in the background, we see Michael getting closer, (laughs) but then he doesn't kill her. And then she like goes to start flipping through the selfies to, you know, pick out the good one. And then all of a sudden, like she's noticing that Michael's behind her. And then, you know, he sticks her with a pitchfork. And I thought the grossest part was I was just like, Oh, and then he kills her cut away, but then he stabs her with a pitchfork and it stabs the phone like into her. Yeah. And then he just like stands there and basically lets her like run away with a pitchfork sticking <laughs> out of her. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is a good movie, right
5: here.
3: Because <laughs> he do react as anyone would? One, And on the second one, your phone is now speared to you. You know, like good luck, no phone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, as far as further ultimate talents, you already teed up. I was going to say, I love at the end that they go in the house written in blood this town will never be safe again. Uh, where were you thinking the franchise would go after this? If this had been a hit and you got to do more.
3: Oh, well, I mean, the idea would be that then recalibrate what two was doing, you know, in a sense, and and bring in uh, the idea of the halloween universe uh, in that, well, we can have doses and try to, Try to ramp, keep the intensity there and start to tell a broken father-son relationship or, fra- or, you know, for better clarity, a Frankenstein relationship between Loomis and Michael. Do something that with the body language, with the feeling like Loomis practically had to go mad to convince people some silent kid was insane. And go there and then have someone realize I can't save everybody. I can, but maybe I can buy us a little time. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, it was, Isaac says
2: Loomis, and that is really great casting, too. Ah, uh, would have been awesome!
4: Would have been awesome. I mean, it, yeah, it was the setup. It's where do you go? And it was introduction of Loomis right at the button at the end. And you go, Oh, okay, I see where this is going. So, you know, ultimately, what that means, I don't know, but that's yeah, that we we're trying to just set up the yeah this cat and mouse game then play it out. continue to play it out and
3: since so you know. Know, we don't have to make it i think it was better than godfather 2
4: probably
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds about right sounds about right uh well um, you know what on that note you guys have been very patient to stroll through yeah. basically 20 years of unmade movies uh not quite that long but you know um Big thanks to you guys. Uh, where can people find you on the social medias if you would like them to find you?
3: Well, I'm on Twitter hiding under my name. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. We're trying to hide as much as possible because you never know. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Um, we're both on Twitter. We're both on Instagram. I, I, we're not very active. Like, you know, every four months, Marcus will reply to something <laughs> and I'll, and I'll like something and be like, yeah, I'm still working at it, you know, yeah, or whatever. I, gotta, I definitely <laughs> have
3: a complex over every time I pick up a phone for a social media cause. I'm like, why aren't I working?
1: Yeah, It's probably a good way to think. And uh, we're at the risk of teeing up a future episode, is there anything people can look forward to seeing from you? Wait, if you in mean future.
3: future episode, don't you mean is there anything people can look forward to not seeing us? That's story? what
1: I mean. I don't I don't wanna be like, <laughs> what do you guys have I don't want to say what are you working on now and then have that not happen. I don't want to you know, be- what fell
4: through most recently yeah. for you? <laughs> uh
3: oh, do I kid you not, and we can't say a doggone thing yet, but oh we've had three doozies in a row. Oh uh,
5: no. <laughs>
3: bam, bam. But you know what? You know, one led to the most fascinating behind the scenes tidbit, and that was uh sorry the no we all we all wanted to make this uh they did the math and the executive in charge they can't afford to fire him
1: (laughs) (laughs) how do i get that position i want to be unfireable because i'm (laughs) for some monetary reason
5: so what'll
3: happen with that project unfortunately is it'll be jerked around and and then some folks will have to come in and pitch blind on it because it already was agreed to by everybody in the regime. So it's cheaper to spend more money and
5: redevelop. Keep developing.
4: <laughs> and we have gladly said "Yeah, so thank it's, you. It's in seven years, when it gets made under some name, you'll yeah. bring us in of like, the version that didn't get made. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: will there be a collector three? I love your collector oh. films. Like, I love them. Uh, will there be a third? Well, we were sh-
3: well, that's uh, well, be another one of our stories. We were eight days yeah. into shooting when we had to shut down. You were eight yeah. days? Eight days yeah. into shooting. So ah. I have most of the ah. finale done. Uh, I have, like, it's, hey, uh, Tom Atkins, friggin' awesome. Emma no Fitzpatrick, back and better than ever. Josh Stewart, who only mm-hmm. uh, is getting more and more refined. Dot Marie Jones. Taj Spates, Navi Rawat of Feast. I loved having her back in. Um, I mean, just, it's, I, I, oh, and a special cameo by, you'll love him from Stranger Things. We do have a Stranger Things person in there, but I I won't say who just yet. And uh, another up and coming actor, actress uh, that is freaking awesome. And I'm going to keep her a doggone secret too. Cause I, if I say who, it'll be easier to be like, oh, you know.
4: We got a couple <laughs> we've got a couple of
3: tricks up our sleeve. So Trying to finish
4: it. But yeah. there's this, you know, pandemic going on, which yeah. makes it a little little tricky. Because um, we wanna we wanna we, we wanna shoot in LA, um just for several reasons. And so we're just kind of waiting.
1: And waiting until um, that's possible.
4: Yeah, and it's we're working towards it. Things are starting to shoot. There's the guy, you know, it's um David Brown who he, who uh was doing this one. He he's had he's another one that's shooting right now, and so hopefully hopefully soon but you know the really at this point there's like there's no rush like you know we, we did learn something with feast of like just do it correctly and make sure everything is where you need it and so you know we have probably about 20 days left i'd say uh not oh, all yes. principal photography stuff but like at 20 it'll you know probably do whatever and then mm-hmm. you know, hopefully uh and I will hopefully say, be done by the end of this year you know. We, Because
3: uh, I mean, even in those eight days, we already have 26 minutes of that movie. And we were moving so fast because BJ McDonald, who I've already mentioned several times, uh, was there not only directing second unit, but helping uh, keep our, our, our bobsled pace going. Uh, DP Eric Leach, freaking phenomenal. And really an amazing tech crew uh, from top to bottom. Uh, I yeah, it's. I really hope we get to do it because I- in that footage we saw that. That feeling, that tone. We got it right. We're making it hopefully a horror film that will feel like the first one we were a little too young to see, even in our jaded adulthood. That's the constant. Awesome.
1: Well, I agree with hopefully. Steve. Uh... I very much would like to see this movie and the best thing, the best uh, uh, hope I can give is that we never talk. This is the only time we ever talk yes. about collector three on this. Podcast. <laughs> 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 yes uh well thank you guys so much for being with here if you want to find us on social media we are on instagram and we're on twitter at never Made film we also recommend you get the free app the electric now app so you can watch lots of movies and tv shows for free you can also watch video of our podcast and our sister podcasts like the 430 movie and inglorious Trexperts. i'd like to give a thanks to Bill Redder and everyone at the electric surge network, including our producers, Mark Altman and Dean Devlin. And until next time I am Josh Miller and this is Steve. (laughs) Our timing's not good on zoom. That was Steve Scarlata and we won't be seeing you at the movies.
3: And by the way, if anybody feels they're coming down with a euphoric high, you might have just caught Scarlatta fever. We've got it, and I gotta tell you, it feels good.
1: hey <laughs>